0: All right. Anybody in the house like chocolate and peanut butter? Okay, one for you. You, who else? All right, some back there. Couple back there. Oh, way back, way back there. Four for you. Anybody else? Let's see how far we can get back there. Just thought I should do this. We're talking about prayer and fasting, so I thought it would be important for me to hand out some candy this morning. And we're also going to talk about something really important. How many of you um, know that chocolate all by itself is really, really good? Like all by itself, chocolate can stand alone. So can peanut butter. But when you put them together, wow. You have like this million-dollar sensation that has just touched your taste buds and changed your whole life. That's what Reese's does, right? Now, some of you are like, Pastor Mark, I'm not a peanut butter guy. I'm like a Skittles guy. That's fine. You be a Skittles person. But this morning, I want to remind you that prayer all by itself is powerful, amen? And that fasting is really important as well. But when you put them together, okay, prayer and fasting together you now have a whole new spiritual habit that takes your spiritual life to a whole new level because you've combined two very, very powerful things in your life, just like peanut butter and chocolate. Now, starting tomorrow, we are doing 21 days of prayer and fasting. And out in the commons, you'll notice that we have journals for that and handouts and helps for that. You can go on foursquareprayer.org, and there's some helps there as well. But uh, I wanted to take some time this morning and kind of launch us into this as a church because you have the opportunity to combine two very, very important things together and watch what the Holy Spirit might do over the next 21 days. And that's really, really important for our life. See, Pat, prayer and fasting, really what I'm going to talk about this morning is it's really intentional time with God. It's relaxing in your relationship with the Lord, and it helps us worship God for who he is, and it allows the Holy Spirit to do some much-needed work really down deep in our soul. And so um, I want to talk about that this morning. I've got a couple scriptures for us, some things that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, and look at that together. So let's pray, and then we'll look at God's word together. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives, that you are definitely our High King forever. Thank you that you have put things in our life and purposed things in our life that we can do to worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as we, as a church, head into this 21 days of prayer and fasting, I pray that this would be very, very important for so many of us. Lord, I know that we need time alone with you. It's incredibly important for us. And I pray that you would speak to us, that you would heal us, that you would do miracles in our midst, that there would be things that would change in our life as a result of saying yes to you and focusing on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to get to Matthew chapter six. So if you have your Bible this morning, Turn your Bible on or open your Bible, whichever you're going to do, or watch on the screen. I want to talk about prayer and fasting, and Jesus talked about prayer and fasting quite a bit, but in Matthew chapter 6, we have this moment where Jesus talks exclusively about prayer and fasting, and he spends some time to talk about why it's important, how to pray and fast, and to maybe correct a couple things as well in our idea of prayer and fasting. So I want to look at that together and then make some points this morning. So um, look at Matthew chapter 6, 5-18 with me. It says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, this is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, And pray to your father in private. Then your father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. Pray like this. Our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father, who knows what you do in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. I want to point out two things that Jesus said as we head into a time of prayer and fasting, two things in this section that I think are important as we head into this as a church. Obviously, we could probably spend several several weeks, maybe I could probably maybe lengthen it out to a couple months. Anybody in here think I could lengthen this passage out to a couple months? Yep, you know me well. But I want to point out a couple things. Um, and the first one is that prayer and fasting is not a religious display, Did you notice in this section that Jesus is um, countering this idea that the Jewish institution and the way that they had started to worship God and begun to worship God was to, at least for those that wanted people to think they were very religious, that they used prayer and fasting to make it a public display so that they would look good. So they weren't really doing it for God, they were doing it for themselves, And so the first thing that we need to remember and think about as we head into a time of prayer and fasting is that prayer and fasting is what we're doing for the Lord, not what we're doing for each other. Amen? Amen. Now, it will have a community benefit for all of us as we all grow closer to Jesus together. But the point of prayer and fasting, we're not doing this for each other. We're doing it for him. We're doing it to have a better relationship with him. Now, This could be a challenge since we're all doing it together. And I want to encourage us to be careful not to let this become an external form of worship, but to continue to let it be an internal form of worship that changes us from the inside out, which is what Jesus was talking about. See, Jesus addressed two specific public acts that people were doing during his day to try to look spiritual, to try to look godly, and try to try to make other people think that they've got everything all put together. The first was the way that they prayed. So when they went to pray to God, they would pray as often as they could out loud so that everybody could hear them. They'd pray on a street corner. They'd pray in the synagogue. They'd pray in the temple. They'd pray in the courts. They'd pray in the marketplace. They would pray in public, not with the intention to actually talk to God, or to listen to God, but with the intention that people would see them praying out loud and maybe hear their great theological prayer and would say, oh, wow, what a great Christian person. That, that guy or that gal must really be close to God because they know how to pray so well. Have you ever felt that way when you heard somebody pray out loud and then you said, I'm not praying out loud, <laughs> right? Now, Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't pray out loud. He's just saying that The act of going into public and thinking you have it all together and that you want everybody else to notice that for your own gain and for your own advantage is not what prayer is about. Prayer is about you and I talking to God. Now, the second thing that Jesus talked about was really interesting, something that isn't a part of our culture or our society at all, but was a part of the Jewish culture Because, once again, they were trying to look so good for for one another. And that was to purposefully disfigure your face. Now, we go the opposite direction in our society, don't we? (laughs) Ladies, you're not purposefully trying to disfigure your face, are you? You're trying to purposefully cover the disfigures on your face. (laughs) Right? That's what makeup's doing, right? You're not trying to make yourself look disfigured. But that's what they would do on purpose. Like, let's, let's, how can I make my face look more awful today? So that people think that I'm fasting and that I'm going without food and that I'm really suffering for God. This was happening. Now it sounds ridiculous to us, but that's exactly what they were doing. And, and they probably actually weren't going without food at all. <laughs> they would just go home and eat like they wanted to, But then when they went out into public, they would actually disfigure their face so that people would think they're fasting. Now, both, as you can see, are outward displays of worship, aren't they? They're not, they're purposefully done so people will think you are spiritual. But Jesus says, you're just fake. You're a hypocrite. That's not what following God is like. And if you know anything about God's word and you read through things, especially in the Old Testament, you'll discover something right away. God does not like fake. He doesn't like fake. He doesn't like us to be fake with him. In fact, Jesus says in this passage two times, right? When you're praying and you're fasting, don't forget, God knows your heart already. He knows what you need already. He knows what you're going to speak from your heart already. So don't be fake with him because he already knows what you need, and he already knows what's going on in your heart. Jesus also talked about this several times in his ministry, in his life. Another one is a moment with a woman at a well in Samaria in John chapter four. He mentions it in a little bit different way, but I wanted to show it to us again because it also has an important meaning for us as well. In John chapter four, verse 21 to 24, Jesus um, Is in the middle of the day talking with a woman that is uh, trying to get her life together and hasn't done a very good job. But Jesus, on purpose, as we find out later, has gone to meet her at this well in the middle of the day to reveal God to her and to reveal himself to her. And in verse 21, he says, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain. Nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. Jesus makes another important statement here, that external worship at the temple is not what God is always looking for. Now, you'll remember there was a temple in Israel, in Jerusalem, and there was also a temple in Samaria. Now, if you don't know, the Jews and the Samarians were always angry at each other. There was a racial divide there. The Samaritans um, were half-Jewish. They were, weren't 100% Jewish. They were half-Jewish, so the Jewish people didn't like them, and the Samaritan people didn't like the Jewish people not liking them. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but have you, you ever experienced somebody not liking you and you didn't like that they didn't like you? That's how it was at. This, this is a racial thing. There was a racial divide here, and there is hatred that would always go on. In fact, if you were a really good Jewish person and you needed to travel north in Israel you would actually go out of your way about 50 miles because Samaria was north of Jerusalem. You'd actually go out of your way about 50 miles to go all the way around Samaria to go up north because you hated them so much, you wouldn't even go through their state or their county. This is a big deal. And Jesus says this, hey, I want you to know there's coming a time when the temple that the Jewish people worship at in Jerusalem won't mean anything. And there's a time that the temple that you worship at in Samaria, it won't mean anything either. Now, Jesus is referring to what you and I know of now as the cross and the resurrection. He's referring to this moment where Jesus will do some radical things for our life and for our worship through the cross and the resurrection. See, worship would reside in the heart of a person now as they connect with God through the Spirit, and they'll worship in a truthful way, not in a fake public posture. What Jesus is really saying is that personal worship will become powerful in every person because God wants a personal relationship with us, not a fake expression of worship so that we look good for others. Now, Jesus used a word for this idea of fake worship, fake prayer, fake fasting, In Matthew chapter six, verse five, we all know it, it's the word hypocrisy. Now at its root, hypocrisy is really lying. That's what it is. At its root, hypocrisy is lying. It's lying to the people around you, it's lying to yourself, and it's lying to God. It's lying about who you really are on the inside because all of your worship is just kind of fake on the outside, but you're not really giving God your heart. You're not giving him your thoughts and your mind. You're not giving him your soul. You're just giving him your external worship that people can see so you look good and you're not really having a relationship with God at all. Jesus said, we worship the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. Now here's what's interesting. Our heart, our soul, and our mind are all what? Unseen can't see them, can't see my heart, can't see my mind, can't see my thoughts, can't see my soul. You don't see those things, they're all unseen. And Jesus says, that's the way you worship God. I need you to worship God from the core of your being. Everything that you are, down to the deepest recesses of your soul, your deepest joys, your deepest hurts, all of it needs to come out and worship Jesus. Jesus says, this is where worship resides, in people, in humanity. But we as humanity, we have a strong tendency to want to look good for others, don't we? It's just part of our humanity. It's been with us forever since the fall. It's a part of every culture, it's a part of every society. It's just something we do. We want to look good for others. Even in the church, we wanna look spiritual, we wanna look put together, We want to look healed and whole. We want to look spiritually mature. So when we come to church and somebody says, how are you doing? And you've had the worst week of your life. What do you normally say? Fine. (laughs) Great. Yeah. Had a great week with Jesus. Hypocrisy. Right? Jesus is saying, no, that's not what the community is supposed to be like. That's not what church is supposed to be like. When somebody asks you, how are you doing? It's okay for you to go sit in the corner with that person and fall apart. Write in the comments, it's okay. And say, My week stunk. Oh, I had such an awful week. Why'd you have an awful week? Well, my grandma died. Man, I was so tight with my grandma, and she led me to Jesus, and I just love my grandma, and it's just been a really, really hard week. Why don't we do that? Because we like to have it all together, we like to be put together. And in Jesus' day, that looked like having elaborate prayers in public and disfiguring your body so it made you look like you were making a great sacrifice to God. But those types of outward expressions are only hypocrisy. Jesus would say, that's all just a big lie. But humanity has always had this propensity to worship what we see Easier than what we don't see, don't we? It's just easy for us to do. In the Old Testament, we see this struggle with the Israelites. It's something that we see over and over again throughout the history of the Jewish people. There's moments where they worship God, but then there's moments where they worship what they see. And they consistently are gravitating towards worshiping the gods of the people around them that they can see, building objects of worship that they could see because they couldn't see God because he's an unseen God. The worship of the golden calf in the desert is a great example. I mean, you and I have never experienced this, but I, I think it would be hard for me to forget an entire ocean parted in front of me so that I could walk through it on dry land. It'd be pretty difficult for me to forget that. Yet just a month later after that's happened, the people are what? They're grumbling, they're complaining, And they force Aaron to make a golden calf for them to worship. Why? Because there's something about us in our humanity that we must see things with our eyes in order to worship them. It's just something you and I are always going to fight with, with God. And we're no different today. We also worship what we can see. Right now, I would say our culture is worshiping technology. We're worshiping what we can see, aren't we? And unfortunately, especially in the younger, younger generations, what they see on this is creating identity. This is where we're finding our identity. It's where we're finding our worship. Because we can see it. We can see an image. We can see a video. We can see a movie. We can see something on TV. And, because, and so we connect with it easier. We, we think we connect with it. But I recently read an interesting quote about technology. This person said this about technology: the demand for technology will eventually bring men to a new depth of slavery. Anybody think that might be where we're at right now? If you're a parent, take away your kid's phone and find out if they're a slave to it. Take away your own phone. And find out if <laughs> The master of the machine becomes its slave. The machine becomes the enemy of man. The liberation of man through technology leads only to man's self-destruction and ultimately to complete godliness, godlessness. Now, interesting, the person who said this was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In a German prison in 1941... because he was one of the very few pastors that would stand up against Hitler's technology. I don't think he even understood or knew in the time, except through the power of the Holy Spirit, the prophetic thing that he just uttered. That we worship what we can see. And so we have to be careful of that because technology is something that we can see very easily and it's great for our eye. I don't know about you, um, whenever a new truck or a new boat comes out, I want to worship. I, I, there's just, I'm not kidding, there's something in me. When I see a brand new 2023 Ranger Bass Boat, there is something that wants to worship in me. Ah! I, it's just there. Let's not lie about it, it's there. So it's something I have to watch in me, isn't it? It's something I have to say, no, I'm gonna, I need to suppress that, because I need to make Jesus, number one, not Ranger Bass Boat's. And so all of us have it. You, you have it in your degree, whatever you like. Some of you this afternoon, admit it. You are hoping the Seahawks win today. It's something you're worshiping because you're hoping that they make it to the playoffs. We already have, just saying. <laughs> but this is what we do. And we have to be careful that our, the things that we see don't become our worship. Now, we even do this in the church We even do this in the church. Sometimes we have an altar or a piece of furniture that we put in the room, and we say, that has to be there all the time. If I don't see that piece of furniture when I come into the church, uh, my worship may just be really hard. If we rearrange the the chairs next Sunday and you walked in here, what would you probably say when you walked in the room? I don't know if the Holy Spirit can come in here now. What's going on? You mean I got to... I have to tell you, I'm so proud of Paul and Clara Sue. Did you notice that Paul and Clara Sue have flipped the room? They're sitting up front instead of in the back. This is miraculous. Some of you think your name's on your seat. Like, will God really show up if I don't get to sit in that seat over there? We do that, don't we? We just have these things in us that we want to see things. We want it to be a certain way. And we think that if we do church that way that God will be here. And Jesus is trying to break all that down in Matthew chapter six and in John chapter four. And he's trying to say, I need you to have a new frame of mind about worship. That worship is not about what you're doing and it's not about where you're worshiping. It's about who you're worshiping. See, prayer and fasting has the potential to become an act of public display, but we have to make sure it doesn't. Each of us will need to guard our hearts and our minds from the hypocrisy that could creep in and keep our minds fixed on Christ. So as we move into a time of 21 days of prayer and fasting, let's, let's just check our hearts, okay? And let's say, Jesus, I want my modus to be pure before you. I want to worship you with all of my heart and all of my mind. And so would you lead me in a way that helps me worship you best? Now, it's also important to check our hearts and motives because the second thing about prayer and fasting is that prayer and fasting is a personal moment you are having with the living God. Now, this is the second thing that I believe that Jesus is saying in this section that is incredibly important. There are are moments in scripture, especially with Jesus, where Jesus is really trying to change the culture. And you can see it in a teaching or in something that he says. And in in this moment in Matthew chapter 6 is one of those moments where Jesus is changing the thinking. He's changing the mindset about what prayer is, about what fasting is, and about how you and I connect with God. And for the Jewish people especially, he was trying to help them think a totally new way. Now, not all prayer is private, but most of it should be. There are moments where public prayer is very important. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. Jesus prayed in public to thank God for the food that he multiplied to feed 5,000. He prayed publicly on the cross. So I don't want us to think for a moment that Jesus is like downplaying public prayer. That's not what he's doing. But most of the time, what we see is Jesus getting away and having a private time with his father. You'll notice several times throughout the gospels that there are moments where the disciples feel like they've lost Jesus. Like, where is he? Where is he gone? He's totally gone. We can't find him. Where is he? And when he comes back, Jesus is like, I just needed a private moment with my father. I just needed some time with him. So I got lost where you couldn't find me. Mothers, you ever feel like that with your kids? <laughs> Could you stop following me around for a little bit? I just I just need to go spend time with Jesus. See, most of the time what Jesus is talking about is getting that prayer and fasting and our time with the Lord should be private. Now, this is a bold shift. It's it's a very bold shift for the Jewish people because traditionally among the Jewish people who follow the Old Testament well, most of the worship was done corporately in large settings. All of the people would come together in feasts, right? Four or five times a year. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people all flocking to Jerusalem, singing the Psalms together up to the Temple Mount, this large procession of a public display of worship to the Holy God. This was a very, very common and public thing, which was great. And Jesus is not downplaying that because most of the worship was done in a public way. But what Jesus is starting to shift people towards is that when you go have a personal time with God, that that is possible. Now, he was encouraging something that they had not thought was even possible before. Let me explain. The idea that one person, a person, could be close to God or could be in the presence of God was unheard of. This was not a Jewish thought process. In fact, as a good Jewish person, you knew there was only one person that ever got close to God. That was the high priest. That once a year, the high priest would take the blood of a bull that symbolized all of the sin of the nation, and he would take it into the Holy of Holies. And if he had done that right, when he entered the Holy of Holies, he wouldn't die instantly. But in that moment, what... What they had in the temple was that only the high priest would get close to God and he alone would do that once a year when he would take the sacrifice into the holy holies and make an atonement for the sin of all the people. Now, what Jesus is advocating here is that any person, in fact, all people, will one day be able to have a private moment alone with God and talk to him, be near him. Listen to him. Worship him. Now this is a revolutionary idea. And it's only possible because Jesus knows what's coming. It's only possible because Jesus knows what, is, what he's heading to. Jesus knew that the most revolutionary moment in all of human history in all of human present, in all of the human future, was going to happen very, very soon because very, very soon Jesus was going to sacrifice his life for the forgiveness of our sin on the cross and come back to life. So all our brokenness, all our shame, all our guilt, all our condemnation and judgment, all our failures before a holy God would be wiped out because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. The second that Jesus died, everything changed for you and me. Everything physically and spiritually and mentally, psychologically, everything changed in mankind's life the moment that Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished. Let me explain. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 to 51, there's a little, little thing that happened during Jesus' death that you and I should not gloss over. In Matthew 27, verse 50 to 51, it's recorded this. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top bottom. Now follow me. The temple was this physical place of worship that the Israelite people had. It was their idea of worship. It's where God's presence resided and where anyone could go and worship God, but you had to stay out in the courtyard. You couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. In fact, there was this giant curtain that separated anybody from getting from out in the holy place into the holy of holies. You you literally could not go in there. That that giant curtain was separating God from man so that if you got too close to a holy and powerful God, you would just die instantly. This is like the fences that we put around electrical substations today. Have you ever seen them? Giant fence around electrical substations. We even put barbed wire on top. Why? Why? Because we're not supposed to climb over that fence and get in the substation, because as soon as you get in there, that electricity will kill you instantly. And so it's really, really dangerous. This is what it was like to be in God's presence. So when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain that stopped mankind from being in God's private presence was torn into, and this is the important part from top to bottom. Not bottom to top. The priest didn't rip it. God ripped it. The moment Jesus died and his blood became the sacrifice for our sin, the curtain that stopped mankind from being in the presence of a holy God was torn in two. And the curtain that stopped us from being killed by the Almighty's presence was removed. Because Jesus' death and his payment for our sin makes it possible for you and I to now stand in the presence of a holy God in a private way and in a corporate way that was not possible before. It was torn from the top to the bottom. This is huge. God tore the curtain. Now hear me closely. Because I want to say two things that are extremely important and and they directly relate to the prayer and fasting that you and I are about to do for the next 21 days. The first one is this, that God the Father sacrificed his son so that you and I could have private moments in his presence. Did you hear me? God the Father sacrificed his son so that you and I could have private moments with him. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he wants to be in your presence. So this idea of you and I finding time to be with God every day and to be in his presence in a private way, it's a big deal to him. It's a really big deal to him because he'd give up his son to do that for you. Second, we have to remember Jesus. Jesus took the torture of the cross so we could spend time with him in private. So God the Father gave up his son and Jesus went to the cross so that what? So that tomorrow morning you could wake up, open your Bible and open your ears and open your spirit and say, Jesus, here I am. What do you want to speak to me today? God's not messing around. He's serious about this. It's huge to him. And that's why you and I, as a church, individually and corporately, this is why we're doing this. it's, It's important. It's the most important thing we do, learning to be in God's presence. See, God did everything required for you and I to be close to him. But here's what's interesting. He won't force you to be in his presence even though he's done everything, he still won't force you to be there. Why? Because he wants you to love him, not robot him, love him. He wants you to come willingly, boldly, and humbly into his presence, excited to be in the presence of the unseen, living, almighty God. In a way, what God is saying I want to date you. Yeah. Isn't that what a date is? It's time alone with someone special to you. That's what a date is. When someone wants to take you out on a date, it's because they want to be alone with you. They want to be with you, just the two of you. They want to concentrate their time and attention on you. And that's exactly what God is saying. I want a private moment with you. I want a personal moment alone with you. I want to speak things to you. I want to reveal things to you. I want to heal things that need healing. I want to encourage things that need encouragement. I want to give hope where there is none. I want to fill you with joy where there's only sadness. I want to pour out peace into your anxious heart. I want to speak truth to you because all you hear all week long are lies around you. But I need you to be in my presence so that I can speak that to you. And when you open my word together, and when you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to me, there will be amazing things that will happen. This is what prayer and fasting is all about. It's about personal time with God. Now, let me ask a couple questions as we kind of wind down. When and where are you going to have your private time with God during the next 21 days? When and where? What kind of person are you? Morning person, night person, midday person? When when are you going to set aside some time for the Lord to just be with him? And where? We also got to kind of figure out where so that we can find that place of least distraction. Because you might need to make a place to have a private time with the Lord where everything in your life is not just right in front of you. You may not have a place in your house or in your apartment. So you might need to make a space somewhere. Maybe it's in your car, maybe it's on a walk, maybe it's in your garage with a heater. I don't know. You might need to do it on your lunch break in your car. All I'm asking you to do is think outside the box or get a big box and get in the box. I I don't care, just find that space and get in it, right? Second, what changes are you gonna make for the next 21 days to accommodate a private time with Jesus? What changes are you gonna make? It's gonna be a sacrifice, but that's, that's the point. We're making a sacrifice to be with Jesus because we recognize the amazing sacrifice he made for us. Now, if you have kids, you're going to probably have to make changes more than the rest of us, right? Let's just be honest. If you have kids, you might have to wake up earlier. Or you might have to not turn on the TV when they go to bed. um, Or you might have to figure out to be a little bit more creative about your private time with the Lord. You might have to sleep in on the other side. say, what's that, Pastor Mark? It means you go to bed early. Did you know you can do that? Like, if you're like that person that's like, I gotta get eight hours, but I always go to bed at 11. Well, then you're gonna have to go to bed at 10. But Pastor Mark, ESPN is on at 10. Turn it off. Jesus is more important than ESPN. Third, What sacrifice will you make to remind yourself that your relationship with Jesus is more important than anything else in your life? This is what fasting is. Fasting is making a sacrifice. It's making a sacrifice to remind yourself that your relationship with Jesus is more important than anything else in your life. So what do you really like? What do you really enjoy? Food, drink, social media? Sports, sewing, painting, I, I don't know. What are the things that you really like? The point is, not that God wants you to give up something so that you like stop enjoying life for a while. That, that's not the point. But there is a, a part of it that just says, I'm gonna make a sacrifice for Jesus. I'm, I'm gonna do something that I would not normally do. I am gonna make a change in my life that's out of the norm and is gonna cost me something to focus on Christ. And, and so whatever that might be for you, like let's say it's social media. You're, you're, you're gonna turn off your phone. Well, that means that there are times where you're gonna want to go to your phone. It's just the natural thing that you normally do. And that's your opportunity at that moment to go, you know what? My phone's not that important. Jesus is. And so all throughout the day, we're all praying about different things, whatever it might be. When we want that thing, it's an opportunity to quickly pray and say, you know what? I'm making a sacrifice for Jesus with that. I don't need that right now. I want to make Jesus number one. So what do you enjoy? Gives you an opportunity to give that up. Because giving up something we really like for Jesus is a way for us to say that we really like Jesus. But the sacrifice, it's our choice. It's our way of saying to God, I really like you. I really enjoy you. I really love you. The cross was Jesus' sacrifice saying to us, I really love you. That was his sacrifice. Our sacrifice during the time of fasting is the same. And we need to remind ourselves that Jesus is more important than anything or anyone. So when we give something up, we get to say, Jesus, you're more important than anything. You're you're more important than even this important thing in my life. And so I'm going to give it up for you. See, fasting is giving up something we enjoy or something we need to remind our heart, our soul, our spirit, our mind, and our body that Jesus is number one. See, prayer and fasting is a personal moment that you are having with the living God. Would you stand with me? And I'm gonna invite um, Taylor to come up and he's gonna close us with a song again. But I hope um, that you'll make the decision to pray and fast during the next 21 days. I hope that you'll see this for, for what it really is. That it's, it's a great opportunity for you to draw close to the Lord and to really seek his face on some things. Maybe you even have some things going on in your life right now that you're, you're just thinking in your heart, as we head into this, I'm, I'm really looking to the Lord for an answer on something. Maybe it's, I need a different job. Maybe it's, I need some help with my parenting skills. Maybe it's, uh, I have a relationship that I really feel like needs some healing. Maybe it's just something in your own personal life that you would say, Lord, I know I've been trying to work this out of my life and it's just been really hard. And I'm gonna take the next 21 days to say, Jesus, I'm gonna focus on you and Holy Spirit. I, I, I wanna live in the spirit, not in my flesh. And I wanna work this out of my life. I don't want this to be a part of my life anymore. It's also a great way for us to just worship the Lord and just say, Jesus, I'm just so thankful for you. So thankful for who you are. It's also a great way for us to remember that our personal time with the Lord is extremely important. It's that place where the deepest moments of healing take place. It's the moments where we hear the voice of the Lord and we learn how to hear his voice. It's the moments where the promises in God's word come alive to us and where we begin to say, man, I didn't recognize that about God's word because I'm studying it right now in my personal prayer time. And man, that's coming alive to me. And I'm gonna stand on that promise for the rest of my life. It's also where we we learn what we believe. This year, we're gonna decide and we're gonna answer the question, what do I believe? Our personal prayer time, when we fast, it's a great opportunity to say, Jesus, this is what I believe. This is what I know about you. Here's the other thing I'd like to say about 21 days of prayer and fasting that I think is really important and it's this. I believe God can do anything in a moment of time but I want to just say this. If you'll give him 21 days, just see what he'll do. I mean, God can do amazing things in a moment. Imagine what he could do in 21 days. If he could create multiple billions of universes in six days, What could he do in 21? So let's decide as individuals and as a church to just say, Jesus, we want to give our hearts and our minds to you, and we're going to worship you. We're going to be thankful for you, for what you've done, and we're going to find that those personal moments with the living God are really special during the next 21 days. So I want us to just end in a moment of quick worship. And let this be an opportunity for you to worship the Lord, but also maybe just listen to the Holy Spirit right now while we close in song. Just say, maybe you haven't decided what you're going to fast for yet. This is an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to just speak to you and say some things to you right now while we sing that he wants you to do during this next 21 days. Let's sing.
1: Hold my word fall short I've got nothing new How could I express all my gratitude I can sing these songs as I often do Every song must stay, and you never do. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Is all that I have is a Except for a heart singing heart. Again, cause all that I have is a hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but nothing else fit for a key, except for a heart singing heart.
0: next 21 days we believe that there is nothing on this planet more important than being in the presence of the living God nothing we will ever see nothing we will ever touch nothing we will ever experience nothing our bodies will ever get excited about more than being in your presence So Lord, I ask that there would be some really powerful moments that would happen for each of us over the next 21 days. And these powerful moments would happen in your presence because we need to recognize that it needs to not stop after 21 days. It needs to be a regular, daily part of our lives. And what an amazing thing. how we can come into your presence boldly willingly excited excited to be with our best friend and our savior and our king God almighty this is no small thing that the God in the universe wants to meet with us So Jesus, help us to work this out. Holy Spirit, lead us. Help us to know what to fast for. Help us to know when and where to make a private moment with you. And help us to stay diligent in it. Because it'll change our life forever. We give you thanks and praise, Jesus. In your name we pray. We all said. Thanks for being here this morning. It was good to see you. Always remember Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Also, uh, if you feel like you have something that you just want to pray about, um, we'll have some pair of people up here. So don't leave if you just feel like I need an extra moment. Just praying with somebody. Come on up. Love to have you pray. Have a great week.